This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Let me read you something. The defendant, Trump, stands alone in American history for his alleged crimes. No other president has engaged in conspiracy and obstruction to overturn valid election results and illegitimately retain power. Not my words, the words of Jack Smith in his 70 pages filed in opposition to Donald Trump's motions, motions to dismiss the indictment, four of them, for the D.C. election interference case scheduled to go to trial in March. Uh, Jack Smith's team and lawyers have pushed back, shoved back, if you will, against Donald Trump and his efforts to try to avoid the trial in March, having just now gotten around to filing in November a omnibus motion to dismiss. And Jack Smith calls out the timing of the motion as well, saying that this defendant has a history of trying to obfuscate and delay and avoid the trial, and he timed the filing in November, just several months before his trial, for maximum disruptive impact, meaning he could have brought this kind of motion a long, long time ago. He's had the indictment for a long, long time. The motion goes to the indictment, not to all of the evidence that has been exchanged and provided by the government. You know, the the one terabyte or so of information, the hundreds and thousands of pages, that's not part of the motion to dismiss. So Donald Trump sat on his motion to dismiss in order again, as the government, to paraphrase the government, to have a devastating impact by its filing. But even in the late filing, which goes to Judge Chutkin, it was obvious to me when I saw the original motions, and more so now that I've read the government's opposition papers, that Donald Trump is going to lose this. His primary argument, Donald Trump's primary argument that infects all of his motions, is that he's got a First Amendment right to commit fraud. He's got a First Amendment right to tell Mike Pence fraudulent, untrue things in order to influence his uh, certifying the election. He's got a constitutional First Amendment right to lie to the American people about the outcome of the election and about the evidence to support the fraudulent election. And what the government pushes back with, which I think is really masterful, is to say to the American people and ultimately to the judge that even if Donald Trump believed that ultimately he would prevail and that there was fraud in the election, the particular specific fraud that he was using in order to berate and abuse election officials, elected officials, all the way up to Mike Pence, was something that was easily debunked and was false when said, false when known, and therefore cannot form the basis of that action. That action, even if later somehow which it was not. But even if later all of Donald Trump's actions were proved to be uh, in the pursuit of a valid attack on the election, what he said about it at any particular time was so suffused with fraudulent statements that that alone creates the crime. Think about that. They've solved the conundrum of how to prove criminal intent at trial. To the quest to the defense that Donald Trump will raise is, I believed that the election was stolen. I believe that there was fraud to try to defeat criminal intent, right? Subjective, su- subjective mind, even though any reasonable person observing all the evidence being told by his legitimate uh, uh, members of his cabinet and lawyers that he had lost the election, even 
even performing certain acts, which indicates that he knows that he lost the election. Donald Trump continues to maintain that he always believed that he had he had been the victor, but it doesn't matter. And here's where they've solved the conundrum at the government level, because at any particular moment, he was telling lies that he knew or should have known were untrue about dead people voting in Georgia, about you know, ballot stuffing and false Chinese ballots for Biden being placed and stuffed into ballot boxes in Georgia and the other battleground states. Those were all lies. And therefore, that lie is the conspiracy that he's being charged with, the obstruction of Congress, the obstruction of a government function, the defrauding of the United States of America. So that, so think about that. Think about how devastating that is to Donald Trump's arguments. Now, the motion says that the indictment to answer Donald Trump's attacks that he's being vindictively persecuted, they say the indictment is based on facts and law, not animus. In other words, we bring everyone equal under the law in front of the courts as prosecutors, not because he's a Republican, not because he's the, as he likes to call himself, the leading candidate to be reelected or whatever it is. And now we also saw a new twist that I appreciated and I want to bring to your attention in the motion papers or in the opposition papers by the government. They've answered the question more satisfactorily for me about the, the Jan 6th being used as a tool by Donald Trump. We were all upset when we read the original indictment that when Jack Smith's team got to the point in the indictment to talk about the chronology and Jan 6th itself, the attack on the Capitol, that he didn't lay the blame at the feet of Donald Trump the way the Jan 6th committee did in their reporting. We know now that one of the reasons he probably didn't do that is because that issue of Donald Trump's responsibility for Jan 6th itself, the insurrection, violent acts of that day, were litigated in the uh, Senate and the House as part of the impeachment process. And rather than touch that issue with a 10-foot pole as to whether that's a Congress issue, a political issue, or whatever, he just said, I don't really need it. I don't need to lay the blame, culpability criminally at Donald Trump's feet for Jan 6th, but I get to talk about Jan 6th contextually as part of the conspiracies. Donald Trump didn't like that. One part of his motion was to dismiss the Jan 6th references because, of course, you know, he doesn't want the jury to be reminded of that darkest chapter, one of the darkest chapters in American history for which he's responsible. Here, it's a very interesting nuance. Uh, in the original indictment, if you read it, you know, kind of compare and contrast, the original indictment said basically that Donald Trump took advantage of the chaos of Jan 6. In other words, got behind it. Not that he created it, not that he led it. But when you read the new filing, whereas you had in Jan 6 the indictment that Trump... Um, directed a crowd and exploited the Jan 6, exploited the Jan 6, you know, uh, crazed mob. Here in the motion papers, they go further. They say Jan 6 was the day that each of the four criminal conspiracy a, a, a led con, criminal conspiracies led by Donald Trump came to a head and that they provide the contact context to his criminal conduct. And then they cited all the times that Donald Trump has promoted or extolled the Jan 6 defendants themselves, championed them, right? 
calling them that those defendants are very special, that we love them, that they are great patriots, and that the Jan 6th day itself was a beautiful day in American history, trying to whitewash American history and even turn it into something that is an admirable set of conducts for Donald Trump instead of the crimes that have been alleged. And so I thought that was a new pivot for the Justice Department that I was pleased to see, and I'm sure we'll see more of as we get into the trial. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbor or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses all natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your Fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which helps with de-stressing and managing anxiety while breaking your habit. The first time I used Fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced, quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up, and I feel pretty darn cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off, because it's hard. But switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code LEGALAF to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's T-R-Y-F-U-M.com. Use code LEGALAF to save 10% off the journey pack today. Let me read a couple of passages, 70 pages. I won't bore you with a uh, just a free reading of, <laughs> although people might be thinking, I would pay to see Popak read that. Um, I don't think so. So let me just read some excerpts from it that I found were uh, really poignant and right to the point. On page three of the brief, to continue to chip away at the uh, First Amendment defense by Donald Trump, which is really ridiculous because all all we're talking about is not criminalizing protected speech. We're talking about speech being used to perpetrate crimes and defraud, of course, by way of speech that are outside the protections of the First Amendment. So bottom of page three, the brief for the government says, the allegations that the defendant sought to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election by resorting to fraud, deceit, and corruption place his conduct well outside the protections uh, protections afforded by the First Amendment, and likewise put him fully on notice that his conduct was criminal and thus subject to prosecution. And you hear that theme time and time again in the papers. His conduct, even though it has some speech uh, attached to it, is outside the protection of the First Amendment. The, uh, the brief also reminds the court that the indictment frequently provides examples of Trump's deceit trickery and use of dishonest means to spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election, that these statements were false, and the defendant knew they were false. 
For instance, on page six of the brief, the Department of Justice says, and I quote, the indictment goes on to describe the false statements that undergirded the conspiracy, alleging that the defendant, his co-conspirators, and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the 2020 presidential election, including dozens of specific claims that there had been substantial fraud in certain states, such as that large numbers of dead, non-resident, non-citizen, or otherwise ineligible voters had cast ballots, or that voting machines had changed votes for the defendant to votes for Biden. These claims were false, the indictment alleges, and the defendant knew they were false. The indictment provides examples of these false claims, including the defendant's statements, Trump's statements, that 36,000 non-citizens had voted in Arizona, false, that more than 10,300 dead people voted in Georgia, false, that there had been an illicit dump of more than 100,000 ballots in Detroit, false, and that there had been 205,000 more votes than voters in Pennsylvania, false, and that there had been tens of thousands of unlawful votes in Wisconsin, false, and that voting machines in various contested states had switched votes from the defendant to Biden, false. The indictment identifies this motion or this uh, brief by the Department of Justice continues, the indictment identifies five ways in which the defendant and his co-conspirators use these lies, these specific lies, to obstruct the federal function by which the results of the presidential election were collected, counted, and certified. And that's how they're able later in the brief to kind of bring it all home with the argument that if you lie about specific things, you still can be guilty of fraud and a conspiracy to defraud the government, even if later on you, you have a working theory that there was uh, some sort of, uh, of uh, improper conduct in the, in the election, that doesn't give you the right to lie about these specific things along the way. You don't get an automatic license to just say anything, which is what Donald Trump is known for, of course. His, that's his calling card, his hallmark, because you think you have a legitimate gripe about the um, that the election was rigged. Uh, so on page 10, the brief, the brief says, quoting even the Supreme Court, starting on page 9, uh, moreover, even if the defendant could supply admissible evidence of his own personal belief that the election was rigged or stolen, it would not license him to deploy fraud and deceit to remedy what he perceived to be a wrong, and it would not provide a defense to the charge. Even where a defendant uses deceit to obstruct government functions that he thought were unconstitutional, the Supreme Court has made it clear that a claim of unconstitutionality will not be heard to excuse a voluntary, deliberate, and calculated course of fraud and deceit. Uh, going on, the brief says the defendant Trump may be guilty using deceit to obstruct the government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified, even if Trump provides evidence that he subjectively believed that the election was rigged. That is the problem for Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. We don't, it's not, the trial is not going to be a test of whether he really did believe or didn't believe and all of that. Yes, they're going to put on that evidence, 
but he can be convicted of the crime even if he really believed it because the specific things that he told other people to influence the outcome were lies and he knew or should have known them. You know, trying to persuade officials to consider alternate slates of electors, arguing to them that there was a bona fide, legitimate uh, a dispute between what was uh, the legitimate electors and what weren't, that's a lie. That's a lie that he cannot maintain in the First Amendment, does not predict. Specifically on this point, on page 13 of the brief, uh, the government Department of Justice says, thus, even assuming some of the defendant's statements about the vice president's authority could qualify as misrepresentations of law, such statements, for example, his statement that the vice president had the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors from certain states were undergirded by specific factual lies that the vice president could and should do so because outcome determinative voter fraud took place in those states and there was a bona fide dispute about which slate of electors should be counted, right? So even if you you have a good faith bona fide belief that your the election was rigged, the things you're talking about are obvious lies and you don't get a pass on the lies just because you have an overall belief that the, the thing was rigged. And that's how the brief really picks apart all of the arguments in the four motions that the uh, that the Trump Trumpers filed in this one really elegant seventy-page omnibus opposition paper. And now it's left with one more brief, <laughs> or I guess four more briefs, a reply brief of a very small length. You know, usually it's about uh, twelve or fourteen pages. For, so we should expect about 50 plus pages of reply papers by Trump. They get the last word as the movement. And then that's it. Uh, we're done. The uh, judge, Judge Chutkin, doesn't have to um, hold oral argument. She can. Or she can just rule on the papers. And my reasonable opinion is that she's going to deny the motion to dismiss all of them against the indictment. And Donald Trump will then try to have to take an appeal and maybe stay the case on an appeal. And it'll be up to a D.C. Court of Appeals, a random three-judge selected panel, not any of the panels that have heard matters or have been assigned matters so far. It'll be another three-judge panel. We'll see who that panel is. And they'll have to decide whether they're going to temporarily or permanently stay the case. I don't think they will. I think they'll just let the appeal take its normal course. They'll let the trial go forward. Uh, and uh, if they let the trial, if they let the appeal move at its own pace, it'll be a six to eight month period and we'll have the trial well before that. So I think we'll just continue to follow it here on Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network. And if you like hot takes like the one I just did at the intersection of law, politics, and justice, you're going to love what we do on Wednesdays and Saturdays on Legal AF, the leading podcast devoted to law, politics, and justice, one place exclusively on the Midas Touch Network. Free subscribe. Help them get to 2 million. They're getting so close. They're at 1.75 million free subscribers. The bigger they get as a grassroots media company, the more your voice is heard. So until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.